I'm going to get in trouble. I heard Mary Ann groan when she heard me read the text. I, um, I've been skipping around a little bit. Y'all are so used to me staying in one place for so long that it's odd when I um, break that, that tradition. Um, we're going to get back to Acts and finish it up probably within the next couple of weeks. But have you ever read a passage of Scripture? It's funny how God moves in your life and speaks to you sometime. I heard a song this week. It's a song that I've heard before. It was actually on YouTube. And uh, the singer, one of the singers in the group, he before he sang the song, it was a beautiful song called Wonderful Savior, and he said, let me quote what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40. And he quoted a portion of Scripture. And I was so struck by that passage that I said, I need to read that. I want to go read that. And so I read that passage and it just struck me. It just jumped out at me. So this morning we're going to read a portion of that passage, Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 1. And I hope that it, it strikes you too. I hope it makes an impact in your life today. Beginning with verse 1, here's what the Word of the Lord reads. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In verse 6, a voice cries saying, And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with His might and His arm rules for Him. Behold His reward is with Him and he, His recompense before Him. In verse 11, and we'll stop right here, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. May God add a blessing to the reading of that word. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we study Your Word together in these next few moments, I pray that You would speak to our hearts, that You would renew our minds, that You would give us strength and encouragement and hope. Let this Word be in us today, God. And let it begin with me. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. And amen. God's glory and our comfort 
in my reading this week, I came across a powerful story that R. Kent Hughes shares in his book, God Saves Sinners. And it was the perfect introduction for what I wanted to talk to you about this morning, so I think I'll share it with you. He's telling a story here, and then we'll get into his writing in just a minute. But he writes, We're entirely alone, without help from the outside. Hitler has left us in the lurch. If the airfield is still in our possession, this letter may still get out. So this is what the end looks like. Haynes and I will not surrender. Yesterday our infantry had retaken a position. I saw four men who had been taken prisoner by the Russians. No, we shall not go into captivity. When Stalingrad has fallen, you'll hear and read it, and then you'll know that I shall not come back. The Fuhrer made a firm promise to bail us out of here. They read it to us and we believed in it firmly. Even now I still believe it because I have to believe in something. If it is not true, what else could I believe in? I would no longer need spring, summer, or anything that gives pleasure. So leave me my faith, dear Greta. All my life, at least eight years of it, I believed in the Fuhrer and his words. It is terrible how they doubt here and shameful to listen to what they say without being able to reply because they do have the facts on their side. R. Kent Hughes writes that the last German plane out of Stalingrad in January 1943 carried those letters, but they were never delivered. The German high command intercepted them to assess troop morale. On the other side of the battle line was a regime, uh, a regime excuse me, of equal brutality and betrayal with its vast network of concentration camps. The Linus program was epitomized in a sign at the main camp at Solovki. With an iron fist, we will lead humanity to happiness. And what about us Americans? On May 8, 1945, the night of the Allied victory in Europe, my mother went with her parents to downtown Washington to celebrate. No one stayed home that night. They had all suffered together and they wanted to enjoy the victory together. But when mom came home later that evening, she just wanted to take a bath. The triumph of democracy had dissolved into a pretext for public vulgarity. Did Washington represent the triumph of good over evil? When we see, he writes, how far we have fallen and how broken the world is, it explains something. It explains why disappointment pervades our experience. As we see more and more of life, we are confronted with disappointment so persistently and so convincingly, hope starts to look just plain stupid. We become disappointed in our ideals, disappointed in romance, disappointed in our careers, disappointed in people we trust, disappointed in ourselves. And then he closes with this, when all human hopes have let us down, we might be ready for the only real salvation that exists. In chapter 39 of Isaiah, to give you a little background, Isaiah the prophet had predicted that Judah would go into exile in Babylon. And this came to pass in 586 B.C., just over a century after Isaiah wrote these words. The Babylonian army came into Jerusalem and they overwhelmed the people and they led the survivors off to a life of captivity and slavery in Babylon. 
This was a far cry from what God had intended for His people. This is not what He had chosen for them. They were His people. He had set them apart and He had asked them, He had commanded them, serve no one but Me. Focus on no one but Me. He had promised that Abraham would become a mighty nation. God's people had failed that calling. And because of it, they were now paying a heavy price. So now in Babylonian captivity, the people are defeated. They're bitter towards God, angry at Him. Feeling that He has failed them when all the while it was them that had failed. And just a side note, this is, this is how we react so many times. Things don't go our way. A situation turns bad, whether it's a, a job situation, finances, family, whatever it is. And we get angry and we blame God. And what does God do? This is often the case. He comes down to us. And He comforts us. Our Kent Hughes said that He comes down with a promise, with a hope that doesn't depend on us by only oneself. He promises to display His glory before the whole world. And as we savor His promised salvation, He strengthens us to face anything while we wait. I'm thankful for a God this morning that comes down to me. I'm thankful for a God this morning that has provided me with His presence, a comforting presence. Isaiah is writing here to Judah, to the people of the city of Jerusalem, to God's people. And his message in this passage of Scripture is, God has not abandoned you. God has not turned His back on you. Your best days are still ahead. God has a plan and a purpose and a will for your life, a purpose of grace for you that's better than anything you could ever imagine. And then He closes that passage that we just read by saying, and He's coming for you. He's coming down to where you are. Believe it. This passage of Scripture is a comforting promise as I'm sure it was for the people of that day, but it serves as a promise for us today. God's desire is to breathe new life into His churches. God's desire is to breathe new life into His people, into His children. As we sang just a little while ago, revive us again. Give us new life. Come down to us, God. I want to share just a few things with you this morning, but the first thing that I see about this comforting promise that we see in His Word is that there's an occasion for His comforting promise. An occasion for His comforting promise. Well, what exactly do I mean? Look with me at Scripture once again to Isaiah 40, beginning with verse 1. Isaiah writing to Jerusalem, to writing to Judah, and he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all her sins. I want to encourage you with this this morning. I want to let you know something that a lot of times we tend to forget. Faith is not all struggle. There is an end to the disciplines of God. What do I mean? Well, one of the deepest intentions that God has towards us as His children is to comfort them. 
God is wanting to comfort someone today. We tend to think and focus on Christianity as being about our sins, as being about the wrongs that we've done, the, the, the things that we've messed up in, the things that we've done wrong. But it, when in reality, Christianity is really all about the saving grace of God. It's not about what we have done, it's about what He has done. Do we sin? Yes. Do we fail and mess up? Probably every day. Do we suffer for it? Absolutely. There's a price to pay when we fail God. There is something that will take place from time to time when we mess up, when we get out of step. There can be a penalty. But does God leave us there? Absolutely not. God's presence is a comforting presence. He comes down to us. He saves us. How do you view God? I want you to really think about that question. How do you view God? Do you see Him coming down on you all the time? Do you see Him uh, staring at you uh, like a parent with a disapproving glare constantly? Do you, do you see Him being a cosmic killjoy that we hear so many preachers talk about? Or do you see Him coming down to where you are, bringing you grace and mercy and renewing you even when you fail? Romans 2 and verse 4 gives us a beautiful picture of who God is. It says that God's kindness is meant to lead us towards repentance. We think, especially us preachers, we think that we have to preach hellfire and condemnation. We think that we have to stand up and scream and holler and just beat people up and they'll, they'll come to the altar and they'll repent. But more times than not, I've seen people come to an altar or make a life change or allow God to come in and do something in their lives because they've experienced His kindness. They've seen what He can do. They've seen Him move in someone else's life. They've been, uh, someone has reached out to them and, and extended them some help. And because of that, it led them to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. John Calvin once said that no one will ever reverence God, but he who is confident that God is favorable towards him. I want to ask you this morning, as I asked you, what is your view of God? How do you view him? Do you believe that God is favorable towards you? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God extends his grace and mercy and renews you? If not, I want you to read Scripture this morning and find that truth and know that God comes down to where we are with a comforting presence. So the occasion that I'm speaking of, the occasion that brings about God's comforting presence, presence in our lives is our own failure. Just as I said a little while ago, in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. In our weakness... He is glorified. He is made strong. And that happens sometimes even in our failures. The message that Isaiah had for the people this day was a message of comfort. That you've paid for your sins, but God is coming to you. God has a future and a hope for you. God doesn't leave us in our failures. He doesn't leave us to the consequences of them. It kind of reminds me of Psalm 23 where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes we have to go through some things because of decisions that you and I have made. 
I heard one fellow last night preaching and he said, you know what, sometimes we want to blame others for our mistakes. And he put his hands up and he said, it was me. And we may have to go through some things because of decisions that we've made, times that we've failed God, sin in our life, but God doesn't thank God. He doesn't leave us to it. He comes down to us. He provides, He makes a way of salvation. I'm thankful for that occasion. Continuing on, we see the content. Content of God's comforting presence. Look with me at Scripture once again to verse 3. Isaiah writes that a voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in a desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Isaiah hears a voice. What's God saying? What, what does all that mean? Well, there's three things that I, that I took away from those verses. And the first thing is that the King is coming. The King is coming. Look at verse 3 once again, the first part of it. In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight a desert, in the desert, a highway for our God. What does that suggest? That suggests that He's coming to you. You're in captivity. He's saying to Judah, you're, you're, you're there because of the decisions that you have made, but I want you to know and believe and understand because God's voice is speaking through me this morning that He's coming to you, Isaiah says. He's coming to where you are. Get the road ready. He's coming. The King is coming in the desert, in the wilderness, wherever you are in real life. God comes to us. Continuing on, Isaiah is encouraging the people that God will accomplish His purpose. That He has a plan and a purpose. Verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. He has a plan. He has a purpose. What is it? That His name be lifted up. That His glory be revealed. The glory of Jesus will be revealed to the whole world, He says. All will see it. All will be amazed at who God is and what God can do. John Piper is an incredible theologian. In a book I was reading this week, he makes this statement. He says, In the church, our view of God is so small instead of huge, so marginal instead of crucial, so vague instead of clear, so impotent instead of all-determining, and so uninspiring instead of ravishing, that the responsibility to live to the glory of God is a thought without content. The words can come out of our mouths, but ask the average Christian to tell you what they know about the glory of God that they're going to live for. And the answer will not be very long. What does it mean that God's glory will be revealed? What is His glory? Well, in the Old Testament, we saw some things. At Mount Sinai, it was a consuming, devouring fire. Ezekiel saw God's glory coming down as a, as a chariot ready for war, bringing greatness and power with it. In the New Testament, God's glory was revealed through Christ at the transfiguration. And John 13 and 31 tells us that seeing Christ on the cross reveals the very glory of God. It says, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in Him, in what He did so what is the glory of God? What is this glory that Isaiah is speaking of? Well, it's His presence with us here and now. 
It's the fact that we have fellowship and communion with Him, a relationship with Him, that God comes down to us. I want you to know and understand this morning that you can experience God's glory now. You can experience His presence in a real and tangible way in your life. I'm thankful for God's glory. I'm thankful that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Christ is the Lord. They will see His glory. But I don't want to wait until that day. I want to tell Him now. I want to see it now. So we see the content of His comforting message, His comforting presence. But continuing on, we see the certainty. We see the certainty in this life that we live, there is not many things today that are certain. And the old saying is, death and taxes, that's it. And you can, you can count on those things. But the Word of God tells us of something that's certain as well. Verse 6, Isaiah writes in a voice, says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. You want to know what's certain this morning. You want to know what's real. You want to know what you can depend on. This right here. Isaiah is told to remind us here that we are unreliable. People are grass and dead flowers. And it withers and it fades away. But God's Word stands. It's never changing. It's always true. And it always stands. R. Kent Hughes said that Christianity is not about what we can do. It's about what God promises to do for us. I like this right here. He says, Christianity is not fundamentally challenge. Fundamentally, it's assurance. That's what Christianity is, that you have this assurance because of what Christ has done, because of what God has done for you. It's an assurance. We're just grass and flowers. But God's Word never fades. God's Word stands. When we fail, when we mess up, when we sin, it may be costly, but God's promise of salvation is final. There's a certainty in serving Him. There's a certainty in His presence. And I'm thankful that we have that presence and that it comes down to us. Finally, this morning, we see the spreading. The spreading. Look with me at verse 9, and I'll try to finish quickly here. Verse 9 says, Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of the good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I don't have time to finish everything I've got here, but to give you a general synopsis of what that's saying is this. Go tell. Matthew 28. 
Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be a partaker of the glory of God? Do you want to experience His presence in a real and tangible way? Then tell someone what God has done for you. Share the gospel with someone who doesn't know. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians Chapter 9 and verse 23, I, can, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may be a fellow partaker of it. All things for the sake of the gospel so that I can experience that glory. So that I can have communion with Him. So that I can have fellowship with Him. We're not simply to enjoy the comfort of the gospel. We're to increase our enjoyment of it by spreading it by telling someone of who God is and what He has done, what He can do for them. God told Judah in this passage of Scripture to trust Him, to trust no one else. They messed up. They failed along the way. They paid a price for it. There was a penalty to be paid, but praise God, He didn't forsake His people. He showed them grace. He showed them mercy. He came down to where they were and He saved them. His grace and glory was their comfort. And it's our comfort today. As I close this morning, my encouragement to you is you can trust God. Even more than you can trust yourself. You can trust Him absolutely and completely. Let's pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word this morning. And I pray that it will speak to our hearts, that it will make a difference in someone's life. Yeah, we've messed up in the past. We have, we've gotten off track somewhere along the way, just as your people did in the Old Testament here in Isaiah. We blew it. We messed up. Maybe even downright sinned. But Father, I'm so glad to know today that you don't leave us there. That the occasion of your comforting presence is our failure. That even though we have failed, you still come down to where we are. That's the content, that we will experience your glory. That you are coming for us. That we need to get the road ready because our Savior is on the way. We can know that with certainty. We can believe this and trust in your word because Scripture says of itself that it will stand. And we believe your word this morning, God. We trust in it. We lean upon it. And as a result, we're going to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel. May every one of us, because we have received your mercy, because we have received your grace, your comforting presence in our lives, even when we didn't deserve it, may every one of us be committed to telling what you've done. Father, we thank you for your word. May it be in us, may it change us, and let it begin with me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen.